And welcome to Thank You for Toilet Paper, a history of the little things, a podcast where we talk about a few things to be grateful for and the history and stories behind them. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miller. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let's get going. I have this picture of me when I was about four years old, and I am being swallowed up by an enormous sweater. If you've seen Knives Out, there's a character played by Chris Evans, and he wears this amazing sweater that the internet briefly went mad over. It was that kind of sweater, like very thick, very knitted, (laughs) as opposed to not knitted, but very beautiful, only like affordable and a kid's style, and I loved it. The sweater really is the smallest part of this story. It just so happens that I loved sweaters as a kid and I still love sweaters now. The point is, in this photo, I was holding a pinwheel. At least I'm pretty sure. As many stories as I tell, my memory is honestly a little bit foggy about most things. But regardless, at one point in my childhood, I was playing with a pinwheel and I loved it. And it may have been in this picture. I feel like playing with a pinwheel would be an excellent breathing exercise at least for a kid, because you wanted to get the wheel spinning as fast as possible, which meant exhaling for as long as possible or in very quick bursts. I had a major surgery a few years back, and afterward, they gave me a small device to help me practice my breathing, and I had to, like, blow into it and stuff, and honestly, maybe they could have just given me a pinwheel and I would have had nearly the same experience. These days, I feel like I see pinwheels more on front yards or in gardens than at playtime, but I still find them beautiful all the same. So today, for the simple pleasure of this simple toy and my proposition that it might be good for breathing exercises, let's take a little bit of time for a little bit of gratitude for pinwheels. But honestly, as I got going in my research, I learned that the pinwheel kind of belongs to like almost a family of toys, if you will, and this type of toy has an amazing name, Whirligigs. So, as we talk about pinwheels today, we will also need to take time for a little bit of gratitude for whirligigs. Because it's amazing to say, and I'm so excited. Let's quickly learn the difference between a whirligig and a pinwheel. A pinwheel is a toy that is made from paper or plastic curled into the center of the wheel and attached to the axle by a pin, thus pinwheel. Very literal. The curled pieces of the pinwheel or the blades are a large cupped surface that makes it possible for the pinwheel to reach terminal speed very quickly and with relatively little wind speed. The basic function is that the wheel spins when you blow or wind blows through it or you run really fast and create your own wind. Whirligigs differ in that they have more categories and could be more complex. Whirligigs can cover a lot of different types of toys. They're basically toys that have at least one part of the toy that spins or whirs. So this includes tops, pinwheels, whirlybirds, and more. They can be used to decorate the garden, to simply make sounds or pretty designs as they spin, or they can even be used to convey sounds and vibrations into the ground in such a way that they repel bugs and rodents. Whirligigs, the word itself, comes from two Old English words meaning to whirl and top. The word first appeared in the dictionary in about 1440. While we don't know when the first whirligigs were invented, we have some of the first evidence of whirligigs in China in 400 BCE. In fact, the pinwheel was used to celebrate the new year because the pinwheel symbolized turning your luck around. Early whirligigs could have been invented by farmers or sailors who both used weather vanes in their professions, which is kind of similar, so it's plausible that the toy may have come from this knowledge. 
It is possible that wind-driven whirligigs were available in the Sasanian Empire as early as 700 AD because at this point in time, the empire was using windmills for irrigation, and it's a similar concept to the toy. Chinese, Roman, Greek, Egyptian, and Persian civilizations had weather vanes, but early examples of propeller whirligigs have yet to be found. Ancient Egypt, however, does have an example of a string-powered whirligig in a grinding corn doll dating back to 100 BCE. And I'll explain what a string-powered whirligig is in just a second, but we're going to start first with a button whirligig. We have early evidence of this toy in ancient Greece, when it was called an enix, as well as Native American peoples and cultures. They also had these dating back to around 500 BCE. I actually grew up playing with one of these as well. Basically, a button whirligig, also sometimes called a button spinner or buzzer, has a button on a twisting string that is looped in a circle and twisted. You twist the string and pull it, and it spins the button. These were also popular toys for children during the Great Depression. You can still find some of these toys at gift shops in the southern Appalachian Mountains. There are actually a lot of different kinds of whirligigs that are still made in that area. Buzzers are pretty similar to button whirligigs, only these are meant to make a sound when you spin them. Buzzers were used both as toys and for ceremonial purposes. So similar to a button whirligig, with a buzzer, you put a button or some other object at the midpoint of a cord, and then you wind the cord up while holding the ends still, and then you make the button or the object whirl and spin by pulling and releasing the wound-up cord. For Native Americans, early versions of these buzzers were made from bone, wood, or stone, and date back to around 500 BCE. These buzzers could also be used for ceremonial purposes that had something to do with wind. There are also friction and string-powered whirligigs. One example would be the bamboo copter, or bamboo butterfly, which was created in China back in 400 BCE. The first version of the toy didn't use a string to launch the toy, but versions developed later did. For a string whirligig, you have to wrap a string around the shaft of the toy and then pull it to put the toy in motion. For friction whirligigs, the person playing with the toy rubs a stick against a notched staff, which then turns the propellers at the end of the toy. Friction whirligigs are also called gihaws. And then, of course, there is the wind-driven whirligig. This can be as simple as the wind itself causing the rotation or the wind being used to power more complex movements in the toy. Whirligigs have been played with by English-speaking children since at least the 15th century. The earliest depictions of these string-pulled toys we found were depicted in tapestries. In a European tapestry, this depiction featured a children playing with a whirligig with a hobby horse on one end of the stick and a propeller on the other. Whirligigs in the shape of a cross also became increasingly popular as allegories and paintings, and in Stuttgart in 1500, a book published there depicts the Christ child holding a string-powered whirligig. They also appeared in paintings in Europe during this century as well. Jan Provost also painted a landscape painting with the Christ child holding a whirligig as well. It's unclear why this became a popular trend, but it did. Whirligigs had likely been around in America for quite a while, even before European immigrants. As we already mentioned, there were whirligigs among various Native American cultures. And George Washington even brought back a whirligig while coming back from the Revolutionary War. By about the middle of the 18th century, weather vanes had started to have arms, bringing them more into the family of whirligigs. By the latter half of the 19th century, creating whirligigs and more complex versions became a pastime and an art, although they were delicate enough in nature and like they got hit by the wind enough that it made it difficult for them to survive to today. 
Whirligigs are even considered a part of American folk art. But the concept of whirligig as art doesn't just belong to the United States. There are traditional whirligigs across the world. One example is of a whirligig in Bali that was used to create sound to scare birds away from rice paddies. This particular example was made from tin and bamboo and was decorated with a farmer and a bull. Some whirligigs are considered valuable and sold as folk art, and others aren't. One such example was sold for over $12,000 in 1998 at an auction at Skinner Galleries. Now back to the pinwheel, part of the whirligigs. The pinwheels we are more familiar with today take their style from more of a Japanese origami folding style for pinwheels. In the United States, the modern version of the pinwheel is accredited to a pair of Armenian immigrants by the name of Michael J. Sidoff and Ethan Noroff. They made their version in 1919 in Boston and were originally going to name it the Wind Wheel. A man by the name of Daniel Dubay had a store in Stoneham, Massachusetts, from which he sold wind wheels along with some of his own inventions. The pinwheel is the emblem chosen by the Museum of Childhood Ireland as well. So whether they are decorating your lawn or keeping the critters away, giving you a reason to get outdoors in the wind and like run to make it go, or you are simply passing the time, there are quite a few reasons to be grateful for pinwheels and whirligigs. Apart from the complete pleasure it is to have a reason to say whirligig on the regular. I love that word. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a marvelous day. Take care.